0: I was thinking about you, actually, because when Mm -hmm. we're talking about patients that bring so much energy, and we talked about this patient that I had, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, that was so sad that I just started with Restore Joy because I didn't know what else to start with. And it was amazing. And it just diffused the whole situation. I thought back to the core. How we talk about the analogy, the nervous tension, I think it is in the beginning of the concussion protocol. And I think the analogy is if you've ever tried to apply a Band-Aid to a screaming three-year-old, you understand that concept. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, yeah, it's 40 and 89 is your friend. <clears throat>
0: 40 and 89 is 2022's, what 124 was a couple years ago. I. I I remember the 124 was the frequency of the year and we were relearning it for time dependency and using it in more than just torn and broken. It's
1: everywhere. It's yeah. Oh, yeah. And I had a patient that was here for was really complicated. It made my brain hurt and it took me she was here for. F- Five five days. five. Of, just her history took three hours the first day, so I didn't ever get to treat her. Every treatment was two hours. Okay. We started with a right hip fracture and two weeks later, right hip replacement because they thought they could fix the fracture with a screw. That didn't work. That's a good face. And then this was in 2003. Okay. Long, long time ago in a galaxy far away. And then in 19, she had her left hip replaced because there was nothing left of the cartilage. And then a myofascial therapist decided that her whole body needed work, but he really focused on her goaz. And three days after, he dug on her psoas and her groin on that right side. That's a good face. I know where this is going. Pelvic. I've never seen it before. It took me five days. Her pelvic floor became completely spastic. And through 2019, there were interventions. Oh, yeah. I remember it all started in 2003, not with the right hip. It started in 2003 when she fractured her tibia into not grape nuts, but chunks of stew meat kind of sizes. And then she had an opal spiral fracture of her fibula, but it healed and there was no knee pain. Then we went to the right hip, then to the left hip then to the guy with the elbow and the thumb in this right psoas and then pelvic floor pain. Every day, what made it all better was 124 and 77. Right. So I took out the scar tissue in the right hip, took out the scar tissue in the left hip, 124 and 77 every day she left with her pain at a one, from, down from a six or a seven.
0: So let's go with this for a second. Because I think a few podcasts ago, we talked about, I see, you know how you you put your eyeballs on your fingertips, but sometimes you don't even need to put them on your fingertips. You just, and I can't verbalize it. You just, you get in their body. You see their history. see inside. You see inside. <clears throat> and sometimes I see, and this sounds crazy, but sometimes I see like a roadway. And I just think about what are the obstacles in my path or in this patient's path that is preventing healing?
1: And the problem for me was, how do you go from right hip? No problem. Left hip? No problem. Knee fracture first? No problem. Guy with this elbow and his thumb and the real problem, the pelvic floor spasticity. I'm going to cut to the chase. He tore her right SI joint. The last day we taped her right SI joint and she could walk normally for the first time since she came in. And it's like, what is the pelvic floor trying to do? It's trying to hold her pelvis together. And you get suckered because that also, it's like she has right hip pain. She has left hip pain. She has knee pain. And this pelvic floor spasticity. So, sort her of presenting complaints were pelvic floor spasticity and right knee pain. And you look at her history, and it's like you fractured your right knee in two thousand three. It's twenty years ago, and you—if it was like whack a mole until I taped her SI joint, and it all went away. Yeah. <clears throat> until it didn't. Then I got a text message or a call from them on Monday of this week and I'm off this week so I will talk to her Thursday but
0: 124 and 77. So come back with me on my journey on the road and when, when we're going through the history and yeah we're thinking about all these old injuries that could potentially I think a lot of us just jump to something scarred right there's an old injury something scarred But the scarring happened because something tore. And bled. And bled. So you're had trauma or so I think as we're doing such a good job of explaining how to work your way through the frequencies, it's not just like last weekend or last week, we were just talking about this amazing disc stuff. It was just very easy. I got a very cool straight up disc patient. Thank yeah. you, Universe, for just throwing me a bone once in a while Yes, the retreatments it is done, but again, even with the disc, like it's not just inflamed, there's tearing in the annulus that is, and yes, the muscles are splinting and they're scarred on top, but taking taking the splinting, taking the scarring away without treating what bled what tore can. Create a whole other little cyclone of issues because you're not addressing the root cause number one, and it's never going. You're never going to like close that case. This is a prime example of patient will be good for a couple hours, but it'll never hold. Yeah, because <clears throat> you have to create that false sense of stability. So whether it's with tape for a little while until you can get those really small co contractions to help stabilize the pelvis again, convince. Midbrain that unwinding the pelvic floor is going to be a good thing.
1: That it doesn't have to spasm to hold the pelvis together because
0: the SI joint is okay now. So it is, <coughs> FSM forces you to, and my hands are doing like this Rubik's Cube thing,
1: but. That's the word that I'm hearing your hands say is you have to unwrap it. Yeah. And yeah. It's at some point today, we have to share the text that we got
0: from. Sure, let's do it right. Do it right now. Okay. Because I don't want to run out of time and forget about it.
1: Okay, those of you that have taken the core and you see the picture of the little girl sitting on her mom's lap, and mom's hands, the adhesive pads are on the mom's shoulders and the mom's hands, and the mom is holding the child. And this child had a laparoscopic surgery. She had a fused suture. Nostosis, the central suture where they're supposed to have the soft spot, was fused when she was born. So at three months old, her head was shaped like a football because it couldn't do that. So it did that. And so that year, we treated her first just scarring in the dura. And I just ran scarring in the drawer through the mom's hands. And and Hannah is sitting there wiggling and playing with balls that her dad gives her. And then she reaches down and she touches her knees. And then ultimately, after 60 minutes, she sticks her foot out and wraps her hands around her foot. So she did a dural stretch and we waited some more. And then the next thing that happened was... She bent over at the waist and put her head between her feet. So that's when we knew that adhesions in the dura were gone. Yay, we thought we were done. Then the next year, mom came to the core. And Hannah, I think, was now, she was two, I guess it was two years later. Hannah's now five. And she insists on coming to the core. I'll be good. I promise mom. Okay. So Hannah's sitting in the core and I noticed that her right arm is spastic. Like she's had a stroke. It's her left one she's using just fine. And her right one is clamped to her body like this, like somebody that's had a stroke. And so at the end of the day, we unwrapped it. It was, what did they do during the surgery? And mom is an anesthesiologist. And Mom says, they put this scope up between the skull and the dura and cut the suture and then cut little wedges at the parietal suture so that the whole thing would be able to expand. And that's when you ask the what-if question. What makes a five-year-old look like she's had a left sensory motor stroke? What, What makes that happen? If you put a scope up there and you cut the blood supply off for a period of time, or you squash the arteries and they get inflamed, It could reasonably maybe take two years for enough scar tissue in the blood vessels to form to restrict blood supply to just this portion, because it's only your arm. It's not a right leg, it's just your arm. So if you look at the homunculus on the sensory motor cortex, it could be. So it acts like a stroke. So you treat it like a stroke. So we did increase secretions. In the sensory and motor cortex, because this gets spastic because the signal from the sensory and motor cortex to the right arm isn't there. So we did that, and thanks to Kathleen Kasbin, the physical therapist, I knew how to range a spastic patient because we did that in Taiwan. So did it once, did it twice, so pretty soon. Hannah's got her head up, her arm up over her head, and it's all nice and loose, and she's acting completely normal. That leads us to the text. This is from Hannah's mom. I was talking with Hannah the other night after she had just had an FSM bath, concussion in Vegas, as I was doing red light therapy on her, and she looked at me, looked up at me, and said, Mom, I wish that there wasn't such a thing as tone meaning the hypertonia in her right arm. We talked about it for a little bit. And then she said, what would we do without FSM? And then we talked about how grateful we are that she was born into our family and that we were directed to find you and FSM. So thank you. Um, Love you. And I'm forever grateful for how you have changed our lives for the better. And it's like, Then you and I had a text exchange where, oops, Denise Lasseter said something about sound. Okay. So you and I had an exchange and it's like, I may have gotten FSM started, but the fact that it's teachable and that the frequencies always do what they're described as doing. It wouldn't do me any good to have the idea That this problem was caused by a lack of input or flow from the sensory motor cortex wouldn't do me any good to have that thought unless I could change it. And so it's like, I got it started, but FSM persists now for 25, four years because does what it's described as doing the results are why but that requires that we have to think it's like it wouldn't have done me any good to treat the nerve because if it's nerve it doesn't get spastic it does it gets weak wouldn't have done me any good to think about the muscle because spasticity in the muscle is especially skeletal muscles never the muscle You unpack it and you go back to neurology. I treated a stroke once. I wonder, this acts like a stroke. I wonder if it would work. Can't hurt, might help. And then there's this, now she's seven. Then there's this little girl that
0: The frequencies changed her life. And the fact that she's putting that together and has gratitude for the therapy and the treatment. That's a very, Hannah's a very wise child. Like, <laughs> very much love hanging out with her at the advanced. Oh, wait, uh, it's coming back this year, especially. Yeah. Seven, so a couple of things. I was
1: asking about tone. Say again. How does it sound? She was oh, Denise, are it. you asking? Oh, what's tone? Tone mm-hmm. is the... Denise posted a Q&A that said sound. Tone is the amount of tension in a muscle at rest. We talk about it in the core now because we have a way to treat it. And we always find somebody with increased tone and usually it's interference with descending inhibition from the brain or the spinal cord. Yeah.
0: I want to back it up to oh there's so many things I want to back it up to. Onward. Zeros. Go. Building on what you're saying, I had this really interesting conversation this morning with a practitioner that was introduced to FSM 15, 18 years ago. Oh poor thing. That's what I said. Um That's awesome. Hadn't been to a course, but just had met somebody who had just taken a course 15 years ago. Oh, dear. Yeah, but loves FSM, loves the results, but has no desire to take a course because it's going to be too time consuming and just wants to push a button and there has to be an easier way and so, blah, 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 blah. And I said, I'm sorry, I have to cut you off right now. And I said, Excuse me. I'm like, yeah, I have to cut you off because I actually feel really sorry for you. Because what you're trying to do and find the easy way and the one size fits all doesn't have any place in the world that we live in for anything, not even just for FSM. And I, someone who has been practicing for a long time as this person has been, I go, you should know that the real changes that you make with your patients and your clients come from digging deep within you and what your knowledge is and exploring and asking the questions. I go, until you get that, I am not the person you need to call for advice. And I, there's like silence, a little bit of radio silence. And he was, oh, okay. I really didn't think this conversation was going to go like that. And I said, no, I'm about teaching. My passion lies in helping practitioners figure out how to unwrap the package that's where the magic is. It's not pushing a button. And I go, and the reason why you weren't getting success with all your patients is because you just wanted to push a button. You didn't want to ask the questions. So until you want to ask the questions, I can't give you the answers. I'm not your guy. Not your guy. Yeah. And that I was proud of myself because a few years ago, I wouldn't have been I, that conversation would have gone completely different.
1: I'm so proud of you. It's, like it's the first thing I would have said is, yeah, you need to go someplace else. You were nicer.
0: We, yeah, I was, I am Canadian, yeah. typically default to the niceness first, but then, and we talked about setting boundaries with patients a while ago too. Like you can't want it more than your patient. And that's sometimes where you have to fire them. And because we're digging deep and we're challenging practitioner other practitioners out there to dig deep. I, that's also what's creating the community that we have. And I think why we're special and tight. And do you know what I mean? Because you're, you're challenging each other to be better.
1: And in, in the core, supine cervical, yes, supine neck and shoulder, and the supine lumbar is always just a revelation and what you when it's not what you thought it was that's yeah. a number but the two supine cervical and the supine neck and shoulder I've come to describe those as the money shot yeah because you can actually do help about 70 to 80 percent of the people that walk in off the street with those three practicum. That's it. And concussion in Vegas and SIBO and mold in the Vegas and mold in the midbrain and all the other dig deep stuff. That's the 20%. We, I think you and I get a skewed view of the average practitioner's reality because we have podcasts because we have media presence because we have whatever and so the easy patients don't walk in my door right the and the easy patients every now and then you get an easy patient that's just a disc and how many years did he have it how many practitioners did he see And for us, it's it's a supine cervical practicum in the neck and shoulder, and it's four sessions and maybe a custom care and love you bye. But for the average practitioner, as long as they're happy or content, as long as they're content with failing 20 to 25% of the time, because then FSM is still the money shot, right? It's like supine cervical, supine neck and shoulders, supine lumbar, done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Extremity joint, and the occasional hip, and yeah. Oh, that's okay. Sorry, it's lane change.
0: No, it's not actually. It's, it's all flowing together because it's easy until it's not, and when it's not is when all the fun stuff actually starts to happen. And I treat a lot of athletes. I treat a lot of teenagers a lot of teenage athletes. And we have this conversation all the time in my house with my family about putting yourself out there and challenging yourself and not being afraid to fail and failing makes us better. And how boring would it be if it always worked out? And while I'm all about staying within your professional scope of practice, FSM forces you to learn about things that you never dreamed you would be interested in. I have this big book on mast cell activation because this is just what I'm seeing. And it's fascinating. And I don't know a lot about it, but I sure like to learn about it. And where else in my world would I ever find patients that have these symptoms that I can help?
1: And they walk in your door and they say, I itch all over. That's really cool (laughs) for that. (laughs) Right. No, oh, I had another thing this week. It was last week because I'm actually off. Yes, I had unscheduled week for the first time in since 1992. I know. Anyway, so the patient comes in, and maybe I talked about him last week, but he has both knees are pretty much. He's had two surgeries on them, and the new MRI is the plica is gone and the. Meniscuses are gone. And I said, and he said, I came, he came clear from Florida to Portland, to Oregon, to get me to fix his knees. And that was the first conversation we had was, yeah, no, can't put tissue back. That's not there. It's a holding pattern. Mm-hmm. Our goal is to put off your knee replacements for five years. He's mm-hmm. 17. 66, so let's put them off for five years till you're over 70. Mm-hmm. But then because of that section I do in the core about the knee, gets caught between the foot and the hip. I did a hip exam. He has zero internal rotation in his right hip. The right knee is worse than the left knee mm-hmm. and normal rotation, external and internal rotation on the left hip Zero internal rotation and 30 degrees external rotation in his right hip. And it's so here's the thing. You're looking at two knee replacements and a right hip. Which I do first. And I said, find a surgeon that you like and you have resources. So scope it out. Find out the right guy and you go ask him. Yeah. And yes, I can fix your shoulder. So at the end of the week, his shoulders were better. We treated his knees every day and he still has a 6,000 to 7,000 step limit before his knees go completely berserk. And he didn't want to get a custom care. Okay. So that's fine. Oh no, he did get a custom care. But the other thing was ketoprofen and lidocaine. Mm -hmm. So we... Put ketoprofen and lidocaine on the shoulder when it gets really icky and on both knees when you do 7,000 steps that day and you do FSM at night. Okay. You have to also understand what you can't fix. Right. FSM does lots of magic stuff, but can't do the knees.
0: Right. And I think that's, you hit something that I think we, we've always done a good job at saying it doesn't, we don't fix or cure everything. But a lot of times when you do see those patients that did get the diagnosis that whatever was surgical, whether it's spine or hip or knee, especially in a younger patient. So I'm saying anybody younger than 70, because we don't, they're never going to, they would just need another surgery later on. Nothing is going to last yeah that long. I'll say that very clearly. I'm not gonna be able to fix this. We can't put something back that's not there, but let's buy you some time. That's it. That I'm pretty confident in helping somebody. And even if you can get their pain down, even if you can get their pain down, that's such a simple little sentence, isn't it? Like, of course, you're going to get their pain down. The goal is to get their pain. For me, my world is all about the movement get their pain down enough so that we can build a corrective exercise to build the strength to convince the nervous system movement is okay and send them on their way this way, knowing that they still will need the surgery, but maybe not next week, maybe in a few years down the road. So something as easy as just taking someone's pain down. Hello?
1: Like, (laughs) Picture. So we put him on the reformer, and this is how you strengthen your quads prior to your hip or knee replacement. And this is how you strengthen the muscles because he can't do quad sets in the gym and he works out every day. He was a basketball player in high school and college, and then he was a PE coach for 45 years. So he beat up his knees. He's earned it so you have to strengthen the muscles with without weight bearing and how do you do that and so it's the whole it's the whole picture
0: there's a couple questions that came in here let's get it and then i had a couple that were emailed to me that were neat that i want to share too before we go anywhere so let's go with leaf's question carol have you explored your mold sensitivity with neil nathan been reading (laughs) toxic by him and wow thought thought it oh
1: Brings Uh, on my uh, hypochondriasis. When I invite lecturers, I tell people I'm alive because of Mary Ellen Chalmers and Neil Nathan. Neil was a lecturer, I can't remember what year, but I had basically primary pancreatic failure. Didn't make any lipase, didn't make, well, okay, normal lipase levels are 13, mine were four and I didn't make amylase so I didn't digest carbohydrates or fats. So Neil and I are having lunch at the advanced and I'm taking enzymes with lunch. And he said, what's up with that? And I said, oh my pancreas is blah blah blah. And he said, you need to come see me. Now this is February. What about? And he said, nah, just come to my office. So his office is in Santa Rosa. So I fly down to his office and he said, I want you to say, ah, I'm like, ah. And he went, okay, I want you to check your gag reflex. And I said, you better move that wastebasket a little bit closer because I'm gonna barf on your carpet. And sure enough, i had zero gag reflex, like wiggled around, tried to gag, nothing, zip. And he said, Yeah, you've got mold. I beg your pardon you've got mold. I said, no, I live in a mold-free house. And it's, I did have a mold exposure in 1997. And then, yeah, there was that ceiling link two years ago. And he looked at me and said, you have mold. Okay. So we did the urine mold test and sure enough, and the only one I had was stachybotrys, which is a neurotoxin, but it colonized my sinuses and paralyzed my pancreas, basically it turned off the vagus nerve, which is why I didn't have a gag reflex. And so he put me on binders. <coughs> and that's where, so the, the one of the binders is chlorella. It's a little green algae pill. And the package says take 15 at a time. Neil said to take three. So I took five. It seemed like it split the difference in his favor. Three days later, I was a complete nut job. Anxious, agitated. What the heck? So I called Neil. I said, What is this about? He said, How many are you taking? Five. How many did I tell you to take? Three. And (laughs) busted. (laughs) He said, go completely off of them for three days, then go back to one for a week, and then two for a week, and then go back to three. And so he treated me. With we had the nasal spray, we had the binders, and after about three months, we added itraconazole. And I got much better for three months. And then symptoms came back. And he said, You've got mold in the house. I do not. He said, Yeah, you do. So that was November. And then finally in January, George and I went around to literally every single water inlet in the house. And there in the hot water intake into the washing machine, there was a single drop of hot water. So I called the plumber. Plumber came out on Monday. We pull the washer out and there's one wainscoting in the laundry room. So there's the former owners had put up this nice wood waist high thing. I said, while you got it pulled out, let's just pop that off and see what it's like. The entire laundry room wall between the laundry room and the garage was solid black mold. It went down under the floor, it went into the little half bath that was next to it, and into the drywall in the garage. I hate it when nails so. There was that remodel, and then two years later, any time was not traveling, I'd come home, I'd sit in the kitchen, and that's where I'd eat and work and do this and that. After three days, I'd be tired. So we remodeled the kitchen, and they took it down to the studs, and stachybotrys is a neurotoxin. So When George and Adam and I were cleaning out the cupboards, all of a sudden, I couldn't move the left side of my body. And that goes back to my neck surgery. But anyway, couldn't move the left side of my body. They had to literally pull and push me up the stairs and get me into bed. And... When the guys came and took all the cupboards out and got down to the studs, there was one stud and a base plate that was dark gray, black, and a single stud going up behind the cupboards that was black. And the contractor that was doing the remodel said, oh, that's just discolored. And it's no, that is why we're doing the remodel. So, yeah, Neil Nathan is, so I carry mold test kits. I use real time. I don't like great planes. That's my own thing. You can do match samples and see which ones you like, but real time is my friend. And yeah, it's, if the vagus nerve doesn't work, you look for jaw infection and you look for mold and parasites in the gut, infection, stress, and trauma. End of lecture. And story. Yeah, Neil Nathan. That's a terrifying story. Yeah, Neil Nathan and Mary Ellen Chalmers. Mary Ellen Chalmers is finally going to do the 90-minute head, neck, and face pain and the future of FSM in dentistry. Mary yes. Ellen Chalmers is the one that found my jaw infection. And the jaw infection was responsible for my single vessel, single lesion, open heart surgery and probably both my hip replacements. That was all from the jaw infection. That was before I ever got exposed to mold. And then five years later, we had the mold. So those two people are the reason I'm alive, plus FSM.
0: I still don't know. I'd still like to see the schedule for the advance because I still don't understand how everybody's coming in two days, three days.
1: It's the symposium. What is it? It's posted on the website. I gave Kevin the final version last week. It's exciting. It's I'm um, so excited. It might not be the final version because I might not have. There's more to come. There's some holes and um the we the practitioner case reports have come in, so we've got those listed. I think I have all of the case report slots full. My only problem is where to put Ben and Dave. And how to put them. Do we do a Ben and Dave show for an hour at the advanced and then do an hour of Ben and an hour of Dave at the symposium? Just ask them. I just, that's on my to do list probably tomorrow. And then we had an hour block that was open at the advanced where I didn't have a speaker. And I'm going to do the Erlers Danlos webinar as an advanced presentation. Very good. Chicago was mind-bending. 27 students at the practicum in Chicago, six from in the class and a seventh one from outside, all had Ehlers-Danlos. That is 25% of the class when Ehlers-Danlos is 3%, 6% of the general population.
0: Don't you think that there's going to be way more of this? Now, it's like mast cell, right? All these cases are coming up. We're talking about it. We're getting better at diagnosing it. I think think that 25 is probably more representative of the entire population, maybe.
1: I think maybe it's missed a lot because they go looking for the gene. And for example, I had a patient who came to A core to be treated, and then came to Portland for two weeks. But she's a medical physician. And she had an auto accident or two auto accidents. And she's had rhizotomies and facet blocks and epidurals and PT and PRP and all this stuff. And she's still in chronic pain. And when she came to the core. It was after Portland, I think. Anyway, when she came to the core, she brought her daughter, had her daughter since her daughter lived locally in Chicago, came. And the daughter said, can you do anything about this? And she took her thumb and bent it back to her elbow and took her. And I went, you've got to those. It That's genetic. And I looked at my patient and said, can you do that? And she grabbed her forearm and pulled it up five inches, took her neck and pulled it out four inches, had all nine bait and points. And in 23 years, as an auto accident, chronic pain patient, no one had ever checked her. So she didn't have her standoffs. But she did. And that was before I'd done the Ehlers-Danlos webinar. Mm-hmm. And that's before I knew mm-hmm. to check. So now every chronic neck patient comes in and I said, would you do me a favor and put your hand on the desk and lift your little finger? And if it goes to 90 degrees, we do the whole thing. So I'm going to do the Ehlers-Danlos webinar as a presentation at the advanced.
0: I mean, that's a great idea because a lot of people... Learn better in person, and they even though the webinar is available, it's just while you're there. I think it's an important talk to give
1: for people. Well, anyone wants webinar live, why would you go in and look for it on the webinar section of the website? The advanced, you know how many choice you gotta you do. It. Have
0: to. You have to do it. No, I think that's a great idea. Leaf says, Great lecture lesson. Ben and Dave play well off each other. Why separate them? Exactly. <laughs> it's like the Dave and Ben show. Exactly. exactly There is another question. I think it was in the chat. Something about hypertension, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of factors with hypertension. Do we have any suggestions?
1: There's, we have one practitioner that says that there's one weird frequency. I think it's weird because I've never used it. One weird frequency on the West Indies list, I think, or on the advanced list for hypertension. It's, something weird on channel a like one oh something on channel a and then the kidney the heart those two on channel b he had very good luck with that but when you look at hypertension it's so multifactorial it's kidney it's vascular tone it's how stiff are your blood vessels and I used to sell beta blockers to reduce blood pressure because it reduces the rate and the force of contraction of the heart. But that's so you could treat the heart, you could treat the sympathetics, you could treat the vagus, you could so the answer is no. ELF, no. Just it's oh actually wait, there is one thing, and it's not an FSM thing absolutely every single patient in the last 22 years that has been on more than one blood pressure medication. So if it takes two or three blood pressure medications to control their blood pressure, 100% of the time they have sleep apnea. There There have been no exceptions. So order a sleep study, get them a CPAP, And their blood pressure goes down and it takes just one medication. So that's why we use a watch pad in the office. Hmm. So there's that.
0: Okay. One more question. Would you would you use 81 and 10 for leg cramps? Or so many women complain of them?
1: George used to have leg cramps all the time at night and we would run 81 and 10 and get rid of them. He would also take a Chinese botanical called MU543 from Pro Botanics and potassium is the other thing. So that's, if I get leg cramps at night, I don't run 81 and 10. I'll take two potassium and two MU543 and go back to bed.
0: Yeah, he's running magnesium oil. Yeah, on the legs. And then Minette wrote 155 and 33. "Is that your hypertension frequency?" Maybe?:
1: I have no idea. Okay. I, literally, I don't. It's I have it's outside my skill set. Bring me your scarred ureter and your psoas spasm. Bring Speaking me your neck and disc. Do not bring me your hypertension because it's outside of my skill set.
0: Speaking of scarring, I promised I was emailed a question and I was like, I'm not going to answer it. I want to actually talk about it on the podcast because if you have it, somebody else has it. And I think we've talked about it, but I could be wrong. So the question was, not all scar tissue is created equal. And that was a great subject line because it it got me to click on it before the other ones that actually... He skipped the line. He skipped the cue with that one. Good job. And he's right. And he's talking about scarring that comes from slicing during surgery, scarring that comes from tearing, scarring that comes from a burn. They're all the same as far as, yes, it's a scar is defined as repair that is not linear. It's in a disastrous sort of bundle. And we do have a lot of scarring frequencies. And I, I do think some are better than the other, but I'll let you tackle that. Or do you want me to?
1: I, the thing for me is I use, inf- for all of them, Yeah, the place where you need to think a little bit differently about it is scarring in what tissue and then sclerosis in the adipose. So especially a superficial scar where there's like literally somebody chopped into his arm with a whatever, and it's scarred down to the bone, what tissue is here? Skin's not a thing. Fascia and other tissue is stuck to mm-hmm. the periosteum, is stuck to the blood supply, the muscle torn and broken in the tendon and connective tissue, scarring in the connective tissue, and you can have both. And last but not least, the thing that gets the ditch out is sclerosis in the adipose. Three ninety
0: seven.
1: Yeah. And it's not all created equal, but in my world, it's all it all starts with thirteen and seventy-seven
0: scarring in the connective tissue. I think that's for me for sure. That's where I always start. And he was bringing up options like ninety-one and fifty-one, and yeah, yeah. I made that face too. Yeah, I never. I don't think I've ever had a patient where I'm like, I start with ninety-one which is like the hardening calcium. I will always start with 13 and you do, you follow the tissue down and in and around and don't just stop at connective tissue because if there's fascia and vessels, periosteum, tendonous junctions, ligature, even the joint surface and the capsule and the bursa, I had this cool bursa thing that happened. I was I was talking my way through as I normally do with patients. And it was like, oh, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's trochanteric bursa. Why, why is that pissed off? It doesn't happen from outer space. So yes, you have to treat the bursa, but you have to always remember why the bursa is irritated. It's from friction. That's why a bursa was created. Why is there friction? So yes, you treat the bursa, but it's a means to the end. Like you, You have to...
1: It's scar- treating the bursa for inflammation without treating the bursa for scarring is like bailing out a boat while you're still shooting holes on the bottom of it
0: <laughs> exactly so it, like I, I typically just do drive-bys on bursas because yes you have to address it but it's irritated for a reason it's never just the bursa and the
1: mind-boggling thing, as I'm working on somebody's pelvis this week, was there's 18 verses in the pelvis and hip, so excuse me, nine in the shoulder, 13 in the knee, 18 in the pelvis and hip. David Musnick taught me about the pelvis and hip, and then he sent me a picture. Because if you think about all of the muscles, every place there is a tendon that attaches to the periosteum or a tendon that crosses another tendon there's a bursa yeah and so there's 18 of them in the pelvis and who knew did you knew that
0: i probably did but then it was like who cares because i never treated them and like you had to be aware of them and you poked them and oh yeah there's a bursa there but i'm going to treat the muscle instead but it's never the muscle yeah it's never the bursa (laughs) Tell that to a manual therapist. Like that's my, that's the, I wish I, I'm going to start filming people's faces who come to the sports course, especially because they're like super muscle centric either as a trainer or manual therapist. And I, my opening line should actually be, guess what guys, it's never the muscle they're going to want to leave. But then by the end of the day, you figure out, oh, you're, you're right. It didn't ever just get there because a muscle never just gets tight.
1: And that's why we finally got to the place where we do the supine cervical practicum. And it was wonderful in Ireland because we had, what do we have in Ireland? 25, 26 trained manual therapists from National Training Center. And you have John Charkey, the fashionista of all fashionistas, right? So, these practitioners know what to do with their hands. So, they're, and they know how to follow directions because they've taken courses from John Charkey. So they're sitting there and just, don't move your fingers. And you run torn and broken. You run quiet the accessory nerve and the upper trap just disappears. And you watch the look on their face. And then torn and broken in the ligaments and the lateral suboccipitals disappear. Scarring in the dura and the rectus capitis posterior minor goes smushy. Mm -hmm. Then you treat the facets and those muscles go smushy. And then you treat the discs and those muscles go smushy. And is there anybody here now who thinks it's the muscle? Did we do anything for the muscle? And they knew not to move their fingers. Right. No scrubby circles, no mashing, no hard work. Just read why the muscle is cranksick? fun.
0: Okay, my ending quote, it's four o'clock. Did you get to the rest of your list? No, I never get to the rest of my list. Are you kidding? I have good intentions every Wednesday is to bring a list with me. Okay, this one. I'll thwart you. (laughs) This quote should have gone on last week's podcast but it's coming on this week because I I found it today. So I've been reading a little bit about stoicism. Don't ask. So Epictetus, Epictetus, Epictetus was one of the stoics. Yeah.
1: Talking to somebody with a minor in philosophy. Okay. So I'm with you.
0: Okay. So this quote jumped out and we have to put it on a slide, I think, for the midbrain. This is like a 40 and 89 quote. Okay. So Epictetus said, it's not things that upset us. It's our opinions about things. So I just had, it's only Wednesday, but I've had the front part of my week has been loaded with patients whose opinions about their therapy has driven them pretty much into like collision after collision with what they were doing before and then like more myopically like we we talk you even say that oh your amygdala has an opinion about this or your gluten meat has an opinion about this so i thought this was just very like, make and ass- and there's always two parts to
1: pain one yeah. is it actually hurts and the other is how much you mind it right and how which may also include how much an, of an opinion do you have about it you never want to discount or minimize how difficult somebody's life is because they're in pain right but when i I spent three days working in a burn unit after that there is no thing there is i have no complaints and we work in hospitals and i worked at cleveland clinic pediatric rehab And you, it's, I understand you're in pain and it's really obnoxious and it gets in your way. And in my head, I'm thinking you can breathe without a ventilator. You can swallow your own spit. Your esophagus is not scarred shut. You can blink. You can talk. You can, you look at all of the things that you can do. And it's yeah. what you create that what you focus on. But I like the it's say that thing again about the opinion.
0: I don't remember all these things. There's only so much bandwidth in my little brain. It's not the things that upset us, it's our opinions about things. So hard. Hard lesson to learn sometimes because I'm a pretty reactive little person and I like to have an opinion or like to get upset and get reactive, but slowing it down and yeah, yeah. And I get to slow down and talk to you for an entire hour once a week. Isn't it really fun? I love it. I'm
1: so excited. We get to do the... Oh, are we going to get to do the podcast from... From Phoenix, we're going to have to move it. Yes,
0: it'll be right after the sports course, the one week that I'll be there. because That Wednesday
1: when we're both there. Yep. We'll have to move it up an hour so you can finish your course at four o'clock maybe. Mm-hmm. So okay. we'll do
0: that. <laughs> we'll
1: just have to do it at six o'clock. Oh, Kevin says we'll just do it at six o'clock.
0: Or we'll figure it out. Yes, because live from Phoenix was so much fun last year. So much fun. Absolutely. Yeah, the live studio audience. It was great. Yes. yes. Okay. As always, see you. See you next week. Bye, everybody. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations.